independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, my name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all blessedly without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Jeff Perlman. It was a concert by glam rock juggernauts Kiss that opened a nine-year-old Jeff Perlman's eyes to the possibilities of a life in music. Guitar lessons soon followed, as did a series of high school rock and roll bands playing the usual Rush and Van Halen covers. But when most kids were picking traditionally sensible collegiate career paths, Perlman turned into the wind and signed up at Boston's Berklee College of Music, a breeding ground for legitimate musicians and a unique place to learn the particulars of the craft. After all, a profusion of musicians can play some guitar, but it is a select few who put in the work to dig in and play the instrument beyond what's necessary to accompany themselves. A significant percentage of Berkeley students leave before finishing a degree program, launching themselves into work opportunities. But Perlman stuck around and graduated with a bachelor's degree in professional music in 1991. He gigged in San Francisco for several years before settling in Los Angeles, a town with a rich history of talented session players. Perlman's hard work continues to pay off, as his list of credits includes Nora Jones, Shelby Lynn, Jacob Dylan, Linda Perry, Sid Straw, George Draculius, Joan Osborne, Mark Rabot, Don Was, Disney's high school musical albums, and music written for The Travel Channel, The Food Network, Fuller House, Jag, and more. His most recent high-profile gig was playing guitar in the house band in the 2019 film Echo in the Canyon, a documentary about the fertile late 60s music scene in Los Angeles' Laurel Canyon. Echo in the Canyon found Perlman sharing the screen and stage with some of the most respected and well-known musicians in history. Although Perlman maintains a busy schedule working with other artists and producers, he continues to release his own albums to showcase his writing and performing. His new release, Lost in the Satellites, provides an interesting what-if glimpse into what modern pop music could sound like if the music industry hadn't been waylaid at the mumble rap exit. Lost in the Satellites is sonically rich and packed with great songs, inventive arranging, and performances by Perlman and other musicians devoted to putting in the work necessary to be great at what they do. Welcome to Independence Day, Jeff Perlman. How's it going, Jeff? Good. How you doing? I'm good, man. Welcome. Welcome to the Independence Day World Headquarters here in beautiful Glendale Eagle Rock, California. It's very worldly. How did you f- make your way to California? Like, I've read the bio. There's like, Nebraska. I drove. drove. <laughs> Apt answer, appropriate answer. But uh, your formative years were spent in Nebraska? That's true. Nebraska? Which part of Nebraska? Uh, I've I've driven through there a bunch of times. Yeah, everybody has. I I stood on the road and waved to them all. Um, I grew up in Omaha. Okay. Uh, My dad had a lot of retail jobs, and we moved around a bit. Uh, We were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a minute, San Antonio, Texas. But, you know... uh, I was about 11 when we hit Omaha, so that's kind of when formative stuff started happening. Yeah. I started playing guitar when we lived in Pittsburgh. I took lessons. I mean, I still have a little feeling for that town. Um, and I saw my first concert, Kiss, 1978. Kiss. Was oh that God. In, in Omaha? In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, Pittsburgh, okay. Yeah, I saw that, and I started playing guitar. Then we moved to Omaha in like 1980. So, yeah, I quickly met some kids, you know, up at the music store, keyboard player and a bass, uh, drummer. We had no bass player. No, nobody played bass back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it was always a hard, remember, it was the hardest thing to find a bass player. Why was yep. it? It was just like nobody wanted, now it's not too tough. But uh, so, yeah, we just started playing, and, and uh, that's kind of where I. Do you remember the name of that first band? Oh, God. 
which one we had. Let me see. I think I think we had the we called ourselves. Uh, this is embarrassing. I think we called ourselves Sage for a minute. But Sage. I think, yeah, but we were kind of going in the prog direction. If 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 there was, even though we were covering Sweet Home Alabama and stuff, but Sweet we, Home Alabama in five four with in no five, bass player. In five four, we had a, yeah to go with the Rush tunes we were trying to do. Um, yeah, you, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's that. You know, then I did eventually in high school. I started another band and. We made a little four-song cassette and stuff, you know. <laughs> Which kid were you in high school? The absent one. Yeah, I was. I was. Were um, you like a stoner kid, or were you? Well, maybe in my senior year, I kind of started to be more of a stoner type. But that, I, I wasn't that type. I wasn't. I was an anomaly throughout high school. I mean, I was uh, in the jazz band uh, on guitar, on guitar and bass. We would switch off and and. Uh, uh, but you know, I didn't hang with the jocks. Although I had some friends that were jocks, I didn't hang with the stoners. Although I had friends that were stoners, I didn't hang with the you know nerds. Although I had a couple nerd friends, and I just kind of uh, my best friend went to another high school. My girlfriend went to a different high school. And then senior year, I had this work pro- work study thing where I could get out after like you know fifth period or whatever. Which yeah, is, yeah. I'd just skip off for lunch and I'd be done for the day. And I only worked like you know two or three days a week. So. I was I was almost decidedly not too involved in my in my yeah. high school years. Well, if you're in jazz band, that's that's involved. <laughs> well, that was cool, and we did a thing with our jazz band. We started. It was you know this was nineteen eighty, I don't know eighty, probably four or five, eight, five or six, and, and Letterman was pretty fresh on the air still. And so we we had we did a thing called the late night band where we we went to to the basketball games with a. A guitar and a and a Rhodes keyboard and a oh. drum kit and a bass uh-huh. and the best four horn players in the pep band got those guys yeah, yeah, and yeah. we would do like you really got me in satisfaction and we just did it for a, for a laugh one time and it just took off so like that year the late night band we called ourselves the late night band and we were like the thing and our team went to state and we you know they won and busted into satisfaction and it was just you know right out of a stupid you know high yeah. school movie. Um, but I found out later, which was kind of cool, was that that became curriculum. Like late night band became a thing okay. that the kids like had to try out for. It was oh, like, wow. it became like this cool thing later, and it became part of the jazz band curriculum. Look at you starting whole I, little lineages no of things. It was just a thing we did. So That's pretty cool. I guess we left a mark. Now here's know. a question: Was was your jazz band a cl- a period in school? Because ours was after school. It's like well, it would be considered extracurricular, even though it was in the school. Actually, no. School. It was it was it was part of the. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was. It was. I remember it was morning. Usually mornings were okay. rehearsals. Because choir, for me and in, in my particular school, choir was a class. But jazz band was extra. But jazz band, I want to say, rehearsed after. Because band, yeah. like proper band, like concert band, whatever. Yeah. Choir. And then there was a show choir too. That was extracurricular. There was a little bit of overlap. In my but... seventh grade, I was in jazz band as well. And they had, that was, I remember that was after school. So this is very, uh, very nitty gritty inside baseball, but what kind of guitar were you playing in jazz band in 1984? Well, here's the crazy thing, and I was thinking, should I mention the guitar? But I won't. But my sister somehow, my sister's husband got her early on uh, ES 175. Oh, so a proper jazz guitar. So I was in jazz band in seventh grade with an ES 175. Now that guitar had left our lives by the time I got to high school, and uh, uh, it's just too damn bad because it should have yeah. gone. It should have gone to me and stayed with me, but. Um, I think it got destroyed in a fight. Whoever bought it or something, his girlfriend broke it. Um, so I was playing probably. 
I had a Les Paul back then. I was probably okay. using that. You can kind of pull it off. I mean, Les Paul himself. It was a three pickup Black Beauty thing. Oh, yeah. It was a slick yeah. guitar I got from my bar mitzvah. Listen to the sustain. Isn't that the one that Nigel talks about? Don't, don't even touch like, it. Don't even look don't, at don't it. it. Yeah. yeah. I had I feel like the hallmark of that era, because I came up through jazz bands too, not a very good jazz guitar player, but mm-hmm. I came up through that system going to the jazz competitions at August, Augustine yep. College or whatever out in Western Illinois. Yeah, you had to compete. And, uh, you know, so, but the hallmark of the era was you'd see a lot of guitar players. It was always a dude, so forgive me for saying it was always a guy, but it was always a guy, kid playing sure. like a, like a, the Ibanez thing hadn't really come yet. That came in the late '80s, so it was more like Charvel, sure, like a red two humbucker Charvel with a Floyd Rose the gig, yeah. through a Marshall half stack or whatever, or maybe a Yamaha bass amp because that's all the school had, right? You know? Or a PV keyboard amp because that's what the school had. I or remember sharing. I remember in college. The yeah, in college we had it was me and a guy named Don Bowden who's still around, still a friend. Yeah. He, we both, for some reason, there, uh, there's always more guitar players than there's everybody else. So there were right. two guitar players in and jazz band. And one of them ends up playing bass. And we, well, no, they both played guitar. <laughs> and they, but they plugged us into a PVKB100. It had three channels. Yeah. Two of us were each in one of the channels of the keyboard amp. And I, yeah. I don't even remember. Maybe the keyboard player was in the third. But like, yeah, the ridiculous stuff, stuff you go through, man. But I, that's, to... like, that's a visage that's a, in my memory yeah. of thinking of that era. It was always cold. And seeing those guitar players, I, I bumped in. Remember, New, well, New Trier High School was like the wealthy high school in Chicago. It was on the North Shore. Yeah. I saw Dizzy Gillespie play there at a at a high school jazz festival. That's the kind of money they had. They yeah, could wow. bring in. They Goodness. could bring in the Diz. Wow. But uh, there were kids at New Trier High School who had those Roland jazz synthesizer guitars and basses. Oh God, wow. School bought. And this we're talking eighty six or seven. And then there was also kids there with Steinberger was a brand new thing. Mm-hmm. So they had those were ridiculously expensive. They had those, and I was like this little kid with, I think I had an SG. I remember our school had a budget to go buy a bass, and we uh, we got this Gibson Victory, like an eighty yeah. three Gibson Victory, and that was the bass. <laughs> yeah, I went out and bought for the for the high school jazz band. Glory days, man. Glory yeah. days. Yeah, and we used to go play in the uh, in the Mutual of Omaha building, which is just a big glass dome. It mm-hmm. sounded horrible in there, but those yeah. those are my high school memories of jazz band. But yeah, that was my. Yeah. So chatting with me now about formative years is Jeff Perlman, and it's G E O F F. Is that the Welsh spelling? Is it what's the Welsh? I don't think so. It's English. Um, English. It's uh, yeah. It's English, and uh, the reason I have that spelling is my par- I had an uncle George that my parents wanted to okay. wanted to tribute in my naming, but they didn't really like the name George as much as they wanted Jeff. So you made it all right. Okay, so the track we're going to hear off this new record, it's Jeff Perlman's The Guest This Week, is lost in the... This album is lost in the satellite. So sorry, vinyl for that's coming soon. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on all the streaming sites. Best thing to do, however, like I always say, go to the show and uh, pick it up from Jeff himself because that puts money directly into the artist's pocket. And uh, artists need that, man. Bandcamp does that as well. We really do. Bandcamp too. So the song is Give It A Go, the album Lost in the Satellites. This week's guest on Independence Day, Jeff Perlman. Stick with us. We're going to talk about the record and a bunch of other fun stuff after this. So hear this. Give It A Go on Independence Day.
Hey everyone, Joe Armstrong here. That is the song Give It A Go. The artist is Jeff Perlman. And the new record is Lost in the Satellites. I hope you pick it up. Jeff's a good dude, good guitar player, good singer. I can't wait for you to hear the live song he's going to play in a few minutes. But first, we've got a few more things to talk about. So I first met you. You were in with another artist on our show, Emily mm-hmm. Zuzik. And uh, and I, I remember seeing you play this beautiful old Gretsch, and you did some extre- very tasteful complimentary guitar. Oh, shucks. On that. Oh, shucks. And that put a that put kind of planted a seed in my head that I wanted to get you on the show. But at the time, you didn't have a record. You're kind of in the wind a little bit career-wise. Yeah. And now you've got this new record, and things have come together quite a bit for you since then. Um. You know, I mean, it was a good year, I'd say, a fun, a fun year of stuff. Uh, you know, this 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 record certainly being a big part of that, and uh, that Echo in the Canyon finally came out, which was something I'd been a part of since the beginning, which yeah. was a long road. <laughs> yeah, and this is a documentary that you can find. I think it's on it's on it, Netflix. It's now. on Netflix now, yeah. and that may that may change. That seems to be fickle. Yeah, she probably should be there for a while, but it's also the usual places you find your movies. Uh, you know, yeah, these days digitally or whatever, DVD, Netflix, and scroll. It seems like it used to be yeah. Netflix and chill, and now I find myself like almost mm. automatonically sitting there and like yeah. trying to find something to watch, which is the wrong way to it's, go about it. It's kind of weird that it doesn't get fed to you like, like it used to, <laughs> and you have to decide what am I going to invest yeah. in. And I turn a lot of crap off pretty quickly, I yeah. <laughs> it's like a digital feedback, it's tough. Uh, in any case, mm. but this documentary put together by Jacob Dylan, yeah, of actually, Wallflowers and, Andrew fame. Slater. Was, Andrew Slater. Is the filmmaker, yeah, filmmaker, and Jacob. But is, I guess I mean in the, the host in of, the narrative, he's the one yeah, that guides. Jacob is taking you through all. He these, guides uh, you through the history of the Laurel Canyon music scene kinda, in the late sixties. Yeah. yeah, now it gets. I mean, like any film that comes out, they get flack, you know, from everybody, even if it's a great, film, you know, whatever. But an Echo, I think, is 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 a wonderful film, and I, but I think that it gets misconstrued as it's going to be a comprehensive doc of what's going on, what happened in Laurel Canyon, and it's not right. at all. It's more a, it's more of a celebration of the songs of a particular early era, sixty five to sixty seven. The birds, Buffalo Springfield, Mamas and Papas, the monkeys, things that were happening. Although the monkeys aren't represented in the film, they are on the on the record, and that's where it really all started. Was the record? It all started with the songs. Andy Slater had this, you know, I th- I call it a, a true act of A and R. Uh, is that he had this repertoire of songs that we were actually forming to do with something else, and then eventually became. Uh, then he got Jacob to take them on. And, yeah, yeah. And they became this the record. And yeah, and there's we, a, there's live shows. And we did a, a concert. We did a concert in 2015, uh, and and uh, at the Orpheum. And you see a lot of that footage in the movie. Um, but that even that was you know 2015, and the record right. was done. So then. The interviews started to happen after that. So after a couple of years of compiling stuff, then they finally were able to compile what, what became the movie. Um, and, you know, so it ends up being, you know, it's, it's light. And I think that I think that the subjects are, are great. I mean, you know, I mean, it got, and it's obviously Tom Petty's last, you know, right. uh, kind of on-screen interview, so to speak. Uh, and he's very cool in there because he he's known Jacob all his life right you know and a lot of these people have and then you know and i so i think that they're, they're more comfortable and they tell they tell these great stories i think it's just it's really entertaining you know but if you're going into it you know hard-nosed right thinking you know okay the first thing i ever hear all the time where's Joni mitchell no mention of Joni mitchell and it, like i said it covers a very specific era before she was actually making records right. in there you know 
She was a yeah. product of what, what this what was happening in this film. Joni was a product of, really. Yeah, I have seen it, and I would encourage people to check it out. And I yeah. and I Can't and I hurt. think. Well, I'm sorry. What's Can't that? Hurt. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna watch some crappy thing. You might as well watch that one, right? Right. right. Uh, not to say that it's crappy. That's not what I'm saying. No. But, but the mean, point is, uh, I mean, Ken Burns. It ain't. In other words, it's not yeah. something that you would study as a comprehensive examination of that time exactly. and place. But it is uh, a very fun riff. On that time and it place, and, and the, the stories are good. You'll learn something. Yeah, you know? and the way that they Slater and and uh, Dylan, the way they interwove the narrative of what was happening then, uh, with interviews from the people who were there at the uh-huh. time. Jackson Brown is among them, like you said. Tom Petty, uh, uh, um, McGuinn, Roger McGuinn and, from and the Birds, John Sebastian, uh, so many people who were there Clapton, and went through it. Clapton and Ringo Starr. Now they uh-huh. were English. Were they there? No, they were in England. But like that's part of the title of the Echo thing is that right. all this stuff that happened. You know, the whole the line, the chain of of of, of um, you know the song "Bells of Rimney," which we do on the record that the Birds covered with McGuinn's. Right, famous, awesome picking twelve string stuff that he did, and then Rod, uh, you know, uh, George Harrison hears this, you know, and he's he's like, whoa, and then he writes, uh, if I needed someone, kind of based on yeah. some of that stuff, and then, you know, this comes back to Brian Wilson, who's like, holy, uh, you know, this is cool, steps up his game, starts writing pet sounds, right, you know, the rest. And if and- you what what I took away from it, and I was explaining this to my special lady friend because she hasn't seen it yet, and I was saying, oh, okay. She- I'm sorry. How dare she not see it? Hey, well, she will. She's she's a music person. Like she's she's very sympathetic to the cause. And yeah. Kudos to her, man. I'm a very very lucky man. Yeah, good. Uh, it is good because I've I've been the unlucky man before, and I, I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. But uh, if you if you're not if you don't live in Los Angeles, I would venture to say most people in the world do not. It is it's an interesting trip through a time and place here, which still resonates today. Laurel yeah. Canyon's still there. Yeah. People still make music up in those canyons. Same as Topanga. It's got its own scene. Mm-hmm. Same as the rest of LA and every other evolving music scene of every other town and every other city. Yeah. But there's still a very, very strong music scene in this town. I imagine there always will be. But if, and, but if you are from LA, which, or live there, which I do and you do now too, it's a, yet another way to look at it. Cause I know some of those folks, right. You know, like I, I, we drive through there, like on my way to wherever, like when Jacob Dylan's driving around LA, it's like, Oh yeah, I, that's where I get my tires fixed. Yeah. You know? And that's a funny thing about towns like Los Angeles, New York, London, uh, world-class, you know, Japan, uh, mm-hmm. Tokyo. I remember there was a, one of those spy movies, the Tom Cruise movies, there was a scene set in a particular train station one time, and I was like, hey, wait a minute, I got a, I got a beer yeah. there one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you it's know? fun to see locations like that. And, yeah. You so, know, um, in that movie also, there's a there's a movie they reference with a lot of little clips uh, of it is called uh, Model Shop. Okay. That was a uh, rather obscure movie, but it was sort of the movie that started Andy down this whole road of vintage LA. He just, it's, it, you know, it's mid sixties LA and right. he had seen the same kind of thing you're saying, you know, he's like, he saw the little curve off of sunset that where leads up to where his house is, you right. know, that little break down there where the 9,000 building is now, you know, and just like seeing it all back then. Yeah. And then he just kind of, you know, went off on a trip with the music and, well, yeah, and, yeah. and that was really the inspiration. That's why you see it in the movie. People scratch their heads why they keep referring to this thing, but it sort yeah. of was the inspiration for, yeah. Well, and think of it this way, too, because it, it may have taken a while 
to get this done, like it takes any piece of art, yeah. something to get done. But think of it this way. It's serendipitous in the way that since then, Quentin Tarantino has released Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which kind of references other things that happened in a similar time around a similar place. Sure. And, you know, that did very well. So people, you know, I'm, I'm sure at some point the Netflix thing when yeah. it gets on there will be like oh if you like this you will like echo in the canyon so it's going to have a life of its own well yeah now that it's out there it's going to go on forever you know and it, like yeah. I said, it just came out this year so you know who knows what the future holds but uh, yeah and it's <laughs> you it. know but, you know and it's also uh um the uh the david crosby movie came out and, right you know right, right, right. but echo had a good it had a good run at the summer i think it did better than the crosby one at the box office um you know we had a good run in theaters uh, yeah, and it was playing in little spots, and my friend saw it in Cape Cod, way out in the little. Yeah, lights, yeah, and, you know, so it got out there. Yeah, um, but with Netflix, it's now it's just like yeah, life of its own. Everyone's going to see it now. Yeah. Let's 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 do this. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Echo in the Canyon, but I want you to play a live song. Oh, uh, sure. What is this first one you've got queued up for us here? Well, this one I'm going to do is called "I'm Your Man," uh, an older song of mine. I'm sure if anyone listening has seen my live performances in the past 10 years they've heard it but i doubt anyone has so it's all new to you um (laughs) and it's on the new record though it's on the new record though yeah i did i did some recording years ago with uh actually tori amos's rhythm section my friend john evans and the drummer matt chamberlain yeah matt and uh so he appears on the record on two tracks that that we recorded in 2009 at john's old studio so uh this is one of them Very nice. All right, so this is Jeff Perlman. The track is on his brand new record. The record is Lost in the Satellites. The song is I'm Your Man. Let's hear this. Do you want to go out? Do you want to stay in? Do you want nothing more than just a friend? Do you want someone to come and hold your hand and be part of the plan? Well, baby, I'm your man Now if you get stuck, I'll help you along If you want to sing, I'll write you a song I'm on your side, wherever you stand I'm your biggest fan Well, baby, I'm your man I'm your man And if only for a moment you'd come along with me See how good a man could be I'm your man Your knight in shining armor Your king and your clown When you need me You know I'll be around Do you want strength? Do you want hope? Do you need someone to throw you a rope? Do you need a new drug? I could be your dope You know that I can Well baby I'm your Do you want coffee? Do you want tea? 
Do you wanna talk? Would you rather just listen to me? Supply the need, and I'll feel the demand. You know that I can. Well, baby, I'm your man, and now you understand. Oh, you know who I am, baby. I'm your man. That's Jeff Perlman. The song is "I'm Your Man." You'll find that in his new record, "Lost in the Satellites." Pick it up at his website. Was Jeff. Perlmanmusic.com, and that's G-E-O-F-F, the cooler way to spell oh, yeah. it. And P-E-A-R-L, you have to, because yeah, it, yeah. there's another, I have a doppelganger out there who's a P-E-R-L, and he gets invitations that are meant for me. So I guess Except the good ones, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Sign the check. Uh, and there's some good players on that. Matt Chamberlain, you said, is on that track? Yeah, boy, I got lucky with this record. Uh, Matt's on two tracks on the record, um, and... Uh, my friend who has produced the record with me is a guy named John Evans, who's a lifelong at this point. Well, we met when we were 18. Uh, we both went to Berkeley in Boston, and we met like the first class for yeah. a day and became fast friends. And he's just a phenomenal bass player and just incredible musician and, and uh, always was, always just was like so good um, yeah. <laughs> and really cool guy. And so uh, after college around 1999 when i was living in san francisco with these guys with john and and uh, we had a drummer friend that we had a band in boston for years um named dan foltz and we we just uh we spent a lot of time playing and we lived together and um then around 99 we we, we all we were all into perry's band for a minute in 1996 mm -hmm. uh we kind of ended up being her touring band for her, her solo record she made around then. Um, and then after that, that led to me and the, and uh, getting a call for, for Shelby Lynn, uh, as the same producer had produced Linda's record was Bill Patrell and produced Shelby Lynn's record, her good record. I am Shelby Lynn that came out. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that record came and we're like, Oh yeah, we'd love to check this out. You know? So we, we were doing that, but the, our, John, our bass player, had gotten the gig with Tori Amos right at that time. So, uh, you know, we had to get a new, different bass player for the for the Shelby gig. But, um, so, yeah, John's career with her went on for, I mean, him and Matt were her band for like 10 yeah. plus, 15 years. Matt, maybe. doesn't he still play with her, though? No, Matt's doing Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. <laughs> but they haven't, they haven't, she hasn't used a band for a while, okay. for years. And that was... You know, she. I think she's done a couple of solo tours since. If she did, she would probably call those guys. But they were her. Yeah. They were her band. But then, you know, an act like that makes the same amount of money if she goes solo or with a band. So right. <laughs> and Economies she, she of scale and just yeah, yeah. Her career is going a different way. And so, uh, but but yeah. So at that time, and I think Matt was actually on the road with Regina Spector, and he had a day off. And my buddy John said, "Hey, I think Matt's in town with a day off. If you want to come up and record." And I said, "Sure." So we went up. Did five songs and I'm Your Man and, and Neverland are the two that end up on uh, the new record. Yeah, Chamberlain, it's interesting. He's one of those dudes. I feel like certain players have, and I think it's different on drums, but oh, certain yeah. players have a thing as the placement of time or oh, yeah. a specific feel that's so unique to them. Yeah. I remember, here's just a quick story. Uh, I was living in New York City at the time and I was watching Saturday Night Live, which comes on very late there. Yeah, right. For real. It like starts at 11.30 late. And I think my girlfriend was out of town. I was, so I was watching Saturday Night Live, drinking some beer or whatever. And you know, you can't quite see the band. Resolution on TVs wasn't what it is now. Right. They're always shadowed back They're there. They're kind of shadowed back there. So I remember like going to, going to commercial, I remember hearing the band play, and I was like, 
that's weird. That drummer sounds like Matt Chamberlain. And I was like, what on earth could that? There's no way. There's no way he could be playing in that right. band because, you know, I, you kind of, G. Smith at that time was the face of that band. Sure. But other, it was just a, you know, unless you lived in New York, you didn't really know those dudes. Like I kind of knew them a little bit because I worked at Manny's. But I remember, I was like, I'm really tired, but I want to, you couldn't just hop on your phone and look that up or even a computer then. There was an internet for like an old dude, but right. like, you couldn't just look that up. Now you know you just do it and you'd find it right or call someone who knew him I guess right you really had to do some research to so find I, him. but I <laughs> I stayed up to the very end of the show to see who the drummer was and I was about to say a bad word but sure as anything there's Matt Chamberlain yeah. I thought well what's he that's incredible because last time I'd seen him you know I I learned of him through Edie Brickell and New Bohemians sure yeah that's and then knew he had that little that little stint with Pearl Jam on tour I knew him from other records he would he had played on at the time the Wallflowers record whatever right. but. uh and that was an interesting education for me. Like watching someone's path is very indirect and the one thing leads to another. And like you were talking before about getting a sideways call about a guy who was on this gig to get that other gig. Right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and Matt's one of those guys for me. Like I just, the he's way great. he places the snare, mm-hmm. I can feel it. It's his own, you know, he's got his own trip and all these guys, you know, Bellrose and, yeah. and uh, you know, Keltner and all these things. And uh, the past year and a half, I've been really, Lucky, we're playing with this group called the Deductions, from time to time that play out of Woodland Hills, where my my big record release show is. Um, have you been to the Write Off Room, Joe? Have you heard about this? Place? You know, I've heard a lot of things about it, but I don't know that I have been in there yet. It's good because the Bill and Maggie Lynch are the owners, and Bill is a musician, and he just wanted to make you know. Like, like we all wanted to do, you know, as musicians. Right. If I had a club, and he's kind of done that with it, it's you know, it's designed for listening, and it sounds real good in there, and they don't, it's never insanely loud, and it, you know, it's it's just done well and adult and smart. And he cares. <laughs> he cares, and so uh, every Friday since it opened, um, there's a band called the Deductions that I'm part of, and uh, it's just the it's incredible players and uh uh, dylan o'brien is kind of the gang leader of the whole thing he's a wonderful songwriter and singer and and uh um then dean parks plays guitar uh draws a lot of water and yeah and uh the other guitarist is a guy named carrie park who's phenomenal if anyone knows carrie they know what i'm talking about um and so I kind of in the in the sub position for one of those guys who are frequently doing something else, you know, Dean's on the road often, and, uh, and I often get to play with him too. So, uh, um, and it's a fun thing. And uh, Jim Cox on keyboards, who I borrowed and put on my record. Um, Jim is a legendary session keyboard player, and the drummer is a guy named James Cruz, who is my favorite drummer right now. We were talking about drummers and just how they place it, and he just man, he just places everything it's such an incredible he's he's sort of a he's one of those kind of anti-drummers you know i think keltner asked him for a lesson once but he's definitely got that kind of you know yeah supporting the song only and certainly not caring about laying down a groove or a backbeat per se like a drummer would normally do yeah you know he's bella not... rose's name comes to mind for for that yeah. for me like i watching him up close which is if if you're if you live in los angeles because i don't think they tour there's a group out well, here called yeah. Rich Hinman versus Adam Levy. Yeah. Uh, Adam was on this show at one point a few years back, and Rich played with him. But then the bass player is Jennifer Condos, mm-hmm. who's a legend, and mm-hmm. the drummer is Jay Bellaros, also a legend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, watching them all up close is an education. But watching, I'm not a drummer. I used to have a drum, so I'm not very good at it. But I, yeah. watching Jay Bellaros do what he does up close, he's like a wizard. 
Yeah, I mean, he's got his own take on it, you know? And that's what Matt has, and that's what Kelton yeah. has, and that's what James Cruz has, and that's what... I mean, that's what it takes. And, and that's, you know, earlier you said to me, you know, there's a million guitar players in this town. I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's true. You just, you got to have your own take on things. Yeah. And that's the only way you're going to survive. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if you got to put blinders on. But, you know, you're, you're always going to have influence. But, right. I mean... Uh, you got to find your own voice, you know? Yeah. Talk a little bit. Um, that's a, This is a good opportunity. Talk a little bit about your influences, especially from the very beginning. Who were the players that made you want to, like, do it yourself and stand up in front of people and, and do that, do this guitar <laughs> player thing? Because I'm sure if your life was like mine, you had no shortage of oh, yeah. older relatives who were like, don't do that, kid. Oh, that was, yeah, certainly. You know, Teachers so who were those players? Because that's that says a lot I about mean, that person. You know, like I said, I saw Kiss when I was a kid, and I, that's in, and that was you know they were somewhere between superhero and rock star. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, cartoon character. So I was attracted to a lot of the kaboom and the kabang, but I also liked the guitars, and you know, and I liked Ace Frehley, of course. He was just, he was a great rock guitar player. And now you know, years on, you appreciate him even more as you, you know, as you as you as you as you know what his you know as you get his trip on things, uh, it's pretty great. Um, but and those songs were Beatley. Kiss songs were pretty much they were Beatle nuts. So, so so they were they were decent songs. Uh, um, but then I remember my sister got me Boz Skag Silk Degrees to wean me off of Kiss. <laughs> she saw a problem. And so, yeah, she did an intervention. <laughs> she intervened early on and gave me Boz Skag Silk Degrees, which had just come out that year and was the big Grammy winner record. And it was an amazing record. And uh, so, um. And then you know my brother was into Zeppelin and, and you know Rush and all the all that kind of stuff going on. And my sister was into the Beatles, so I was always hearing the Beatles. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was the first thing I remember blowing me away of you know hearing a guitar do things. Um, and right when I started playing, which was probably around seventy eight, nineteen seventy eight or nine, uh, I remember the two songs on the radio were Van Halen had just broke with uh, "You Really Got Me." Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, you know, and since Hendrix, I think there hadn't been any other right. complete 90 degree turn on how the guitar was done till Eddie. And, uh, and everyone else since then seems like an offshoot of Eddie yeah. to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's, I feel like Van Halen, especially Eddie, was like the Star Wars of guitar. Uh, but it's so great. Everything, th- there so was amazing things it, before that. Yeah. And there's been amazing things after that. But that was a watershed moment it where was. everything changed. It changed everything. He he changed everything. And certainly for me, just getting into the guitar at that point, it was like, no, say what? And then the other yeah, guitar player. Yeah, now I have player, to do that? Right. And then, but then the other guy that I was hearing at the same time was was Andy Summers on, on uh, you know, Roxanne. And, um, and, you know, maybe the second album was out then. I yeah. heard Message in a Bottle. But, you know, hearing Andy Summers and all that chorusy, trippy, non, you know, completely... Angular completely, parts. Yeah, completely anti-guitarist in a way, you know. I love I love his just complete, unique approach. So I kind of felt like those two things were juxtaposed. Is that, you know, it's like, wow, that's yeah, yeah. crazy. And, then, and just, you know, records, all the classic rock records were around. It was it was the 70s and, I mean, that's, and the 80s and... Yeah, that honestly, I mean, I did take lessons for, you know, when I was young and then up through college, high school and through college, and as a player, guitar player. But I think my best education as a guitar player, this was the heyday of classic rock when I was learning to play, like mid-70s up through like early 90s, right? And the, what I used to do is I would go in my room, and I, would, I was in Chicago, would turn on either the Loop or WCKG, which were the two big flagship mm-hmm. classic rock stations. And I would just play along, because I could always figure things out by ear, 
just had that gift, thankfully. Sure, yeah. And I could I would just sit and like figure out every single song as it went past. Again, this is before you could look up YouTube instructional oh, yeah. videos on no, that's everything. What I was doing I was nervous. And I would the needle sit back there and figuring for it out. Hours. But I actually specifically liked the radio because it would just deliver things. Like I had my own collection of stuff that mm-hmm. I would learn from. But the radio was a key thing because it was it was being curated by someone back oh, yeah. then, a human. And then you had a cassette deck and if they were going to break a new track, right? you had your pause button. I did all that thing and yeah. I and I would listen and like usually, you know, sometimes like Van Halen was turned down half a step or thereabouts. Yeah. So like, you know, maybe a third of the way through the song, I'd finally get the tuning lined in and then figure out the chords and then a little bit of the solo maybe. And then by the time I'd kind of got it under my fingers, it was done. Right. On to the next thing. Oh, here comes Night Moves. Right. Okay, let's learn Let's learn that. And then, sure. and then by the time, I, you know, that, I didn't have to tune for that, maybe back up from Van Halen. And God help you if you had a floating tremolo, it's inside guitar stuff. Oh, but, yeah, I never had any of that stuff. And then, you know, the next song would come on, it would be like Elvis Costello. Okay, well, mm-hmm. that's a little interesting. That's a breath of fresh air. Let's learn that a little bit. And then uh, Pink Floyd would come on. Okay, let's learn that. Right. And then, so, again, you're not learning them all note for note, but you're being exposed just, yeah, to I all mean, these different things. You know, you learn later that a, a healthy diet of everything... Uh, yeah. is And there's good in everything, you know, even the stuff I don't really enjoy, I can recognize a good... Yeah. You know, a, I mean, I cannot stand any kind of hip hop or, you know, but there's, there are some things that I do like, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, there's, you know, anyway, um, I remember the, you know, the first solo I remember figuring out was, uh, uh, Keith's solo on, uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Okay. That was when I remember being like 11, 10 or 11 years old and moving the needle back and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, getting all the riffs and, you know, but we that's what it is. The- You're just up there with just learning records. Yeah. Such an education, you know. Yeah, and it gets yeah. It's just it's the best thing, you know. And then later, I ended up going to music school and stuff. But you know, you're just kind of learning the terminology and the and you know the theory of everything is not. It's more like oh, that's what that is, you know. It's not like you know now I can do this, you know, because I'm empowered with this. It's just it's just like no, all that really is is this. It's like you know a scientific explanation. Yeah. For why Purple Haze's riff is so funky and fu- funky, like, because it's all tritones. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, learning those little, because, you know, the, the other uh, thing we had back then was like the guitar magazines. Yeah. yeah. There guitar were two. There was guitar, use... guitar player and guitar for the practicing musician was yeah. the other one. And they had lessons by legit dudes who could, you know, they'd do the tablature, which is kind of like a shorthand way to kind of learn stuff halfway. Yeah. You had a good ear. Plus, they would chart it out a lot of times. And between those things, like that was the education. That's that's the way. Like nowadays, you know, if I'm in a real, I try. It sounds funny, but I I kind of a prohibition. If I'm learning something, I try not to go to YouTube and just watch videos. One, because a lot of times they're incorrect. Yeah. But two, I, I I still want that skill. I still need to make sure I can do that. Yeah. You know? And I think it keeps you honest a little bit. You know, if sometimes if I'm in a real big hurry, it's like, okay, well, what's that chord? And I'll look it up. Sure. But then I know enough, you know, because I went to music school too. Like I know enough to know and go back there and look and say, well, that's not right. Right. You know, right. like that's the root note, but that's obviously not that chord. You know, and some people are just ridiculously blatantly wrong. Like everything else on the internet. So right. Imagine that, that they, somebody yeah. could be God. ridiculously misinformed on the internet. Misinformed on the internet. It's hard to believe, I know. Uh, answer me this, Jeff. When you think about your influences as a writer and as a singer, and as a guitar player, do you have cases in your in your music and your experience that they're not mutually exclusive in the sense that 
I mean, not just being so. So you might be influenced by this person singing, but not their guitar playing, or this person's guitar playing, but mm-hmm. not their singing. And you might be influenced by this person's songwriting, but none of the other two. Like, kind of delineate that for me a little bit for you. Well, there was a major influence that I have to cite, and that was Todd Rundgren, and that would be in all three things. So that'd be the opposite. I liked his guitar playing. I loved his singing yeah. and uh, his songwriting. You know, some of he's just written some amazing songs. He's just and you know, but uh, you know, I, I later. I mean, gosh, that's a that's an interesting question. Have I, have I flummoxed you? <laughs> no, I'm just not sure. You know, I mean, separating people's. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, John Hyatt was a great is a great songwriter that that influenced me uh, when I was starting to get more serious about writing. And, uh, but I always liked his singing and his delivery, yeah. you know? So, I mean, uh, yeah, but it's, I guess maybe I should parse this a little bit when I'm thinking of this, when I thought of this question, like a way to get at that topic is the guy that came to mind when I was taking a shower, John Prine came on on my phone. It comes to my mind in the shower too. Yeah. And I love John Prine. Uh, but I wouldn't emulate his singing. Right. Even though I like it and it works for him. Yeah. I do not consider him to be an influence for my singing. Yeah. In any way, his guitar playing. I did have. I did learn some Travis picking stuff from him because mm-hmm. he he does the two finger thing, which is actually I find more challenging than the, right, the three right. or even three finger and thumb thing. Right. So he does all that with two fingers. But Sam Beam's the same way. He, I think he does all his Sam from Iron and Wine. He does all his picking with just mm-hmm. a one, like usually one, maybe two fingers and a thumb, and he does some really facile stuff. I wish I could have seen Nick Drake do it. There's really aren't videos of him doing that. Yeah. But I but so but a little bit of guitar, but songwriting, of course. Right? Yes. And there I are mean, other people who I might be very influenced by their singing style, but not like, eh, you know, mediocre guitar player. Right. You right. know? Like Indigo Girls would come to mind. They're good sure. guitar players. Right. But they're not they're not reinventing the wheel. But I right. love their harmonies and well, the way they arrange their harmonies, right? You know, that's what they're about. You know, yeah. like the Everleys and stuff, you know. They're they're yeah. about the harmonies. And they're just, you know, uh I mean you know, everybody kind of has their strengths and stuff, yeah. and that's what you have to play to, you know, and that's certainly what I've been doing as a musician. I, I just, you know, I used to take every gig that people would call, you know, it's at the hotel cafe, a couple of rehearsals, can you do it, you know, just, sure, and, and then, you know, even before sometimes hearing the music and stuff, and I'm just not doing that anymore, man. I just don't want to yeah. do, I, you know, and I'm not saying this in a way like, you know, screw everybody, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've just, right. for me to be happy as a musician, this is what I have to do, yeah. And and I just have to do things that I feel I can sound good on, or that yeah. I, I relate to in a way, you know. So I'm not up there playing some stuff that uh, just you yeah. know is not really my bag. I just don't. I don't. I hate being in that situation. It's the benefit of maturity, I think. Like, uh, yeah. And I I kind of feel like as a musician, I've matured more slowly than a normal human being would have done. Well, it's a I long make road. different choices in it my takes life. A while. I was a late bloomer on Hank Williams and all yeah. this stuff, you know. Yeah. So this, uh, I want to tie, I want to play another song here in just a second, but I want to tie just a little bit of the Echo in the Canyon back in here because there's a question that's kind of left over that ties into this concept about influences and playing and what you're, what you feel comfortable playing, the styles Mm -hmm. or the gigs, uh, which is how did you wind up with the gig in that, in that thing? Because this, that led to some, you know, money and a gig and a regular thing and the, and the tour getting around or visibility, if nothing else. 
Like, so how does one, well, as, a, as a guy who plays sessions around town, ads. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's that? A lot of Facebook friend ads and Instagram followers, but yeah, that's yeah. about it. Um, it's, uh, it, it was through knowing, knowing Andy through, uh, actually, he, you know, he says this in interviews, if, if, you know, on the rare occasion anyone asks about the backup band, uh, he says he found him at a deli. So th- it's all the guys from the Canners Kibitz Room Jam. Mm-hmm. And Stan Rothschild and Jordan Summers and Fernando Perdomo and and Matt Tecu and we just you know and Eric isn't Eric paparazzi oh he yeah he shows up in the film a couple of times yeah he kind of he subs he's sort of the he's sort of the uh, the auxiliary the sub for he's sub for Fernando on guitar I think he might have subbed in for me on guitar yeah. and and uh, he subbed for Dan on bass because to tie it all together I met Eric at the Greek yeah. I think it was at the the Anderson Rabin Wakeman show a couple summers oh, ago yeah, like yeah. I just I'm a friendly dude I talk to everybody the yeah, people yeah. in LA think I'm nuts but I'm a Midwesterner who talks to people yeah he's a great guy but he was just sitting next to me and we got to chatting and we ended up hiking because we parked down below on uh, Los Feliz. We walked all the way down. I had a chat all the way back yeah. down. His Cat Powers is his main his Yeah, main gig. he plays his Cat Power, who's also in the movie and on the record. Um, anyway, just a little and, side trip with Eric. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, uh, it just kind of started that way. Andy kind of picked out, he just invited us, yeah. you know, up to the house to come and play on these songs with these two girls that he was working with. Uh, that were singing the the same songs that kind of ended up being the Echo in the Canyon record. So, yeah. and I think because I owned a twelve string, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I got yeah. in there, but I just you know. I yeah. mean, I met Andy, and he you know when he finds a musician he likes, he'll he'll you know, yeah he'll bring him in. So that's kind of around the time that I you know was getting to know him was when all this started. So yeah, just, if just if ended I up there yeah <laughs> if I if I have one complaint about the movie it may be your similar complaint which is that you guys are back there the whole time. Well, I mean, I think we get plenty of FaceTime myself. Oh, you get, but, no, no, you get FaceTime for sure. You know, I mean, it's kind of like because, like, okay. as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, well, there's Jeff. I knew you were involved because we're we're friends. Yeah. And then I, I was like, I knew. Oh, there's Eric. Okay. Yeah. And I kind of I know Matt a little bit, and like I know know those know those cats a little bit. And I'm like, okay, well, there's them and them and them. But like, it's surely at some point they're even going to put your name on a little thing yeah we get credited you gotta, if you want to see our credit on netflix you got to turn off the autoplay because it'll 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 switch to the next yeah. thing you're going to watch before your credit comes up so you got to go back and watch it yeah movie. i mean that's my only complaint um, with the movie but you know then the record has you know the record comes with a big poster and there's a, a drawing of a, a mad magazine artist did a drawing of all the people in the movie and the bands on there uh Drawn, you know, characterized forever, uh-huh. and then, and then, of course, the credits are on the back. They, 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 they properly credit us on the on the record, and yeah, you know, quickly credit us on the movie. But uh, yeah, you know, is what, what are you going to do? You're in the movie. What it is? It's better to there. be in the movie and not get credited the other way around. It's a cool thing. I mean, you know, I got to we got to play with Roger McGuinn. We got to play with Stephen Stills. Beck. We gotten to play with Beck, Fiona Apple. You know, I mean, Cat Power. And, yeah. Um, just it's you know an endless list of uh, Regina Spector and it's just been really fun and and you know who knows what Jackson Brown's played with us we did something with Michelle Phillips the other day, um, so it's been a wonderful experience you know yeah. it's it's totally cool but you yeah know. yeah well let's bring it back to your stuff we yeah. got a little more things to, a few more things to talk about uh, the new record Lost in the Satellites I'm talking with Jeff Perlman I'm having a good time I hope you are too Me too and uh, what's this next tune this is also from the new record oh. Get? get out your spectacles. I still look for you, I think. Tell me a little bit about this. Um, this song is kind of uh, about... Uh, <laughs> I, it sounds dark like it's about somebody, but it's kind of... Remi- it's, I was 
thinking about the, all the punk rockers in Omaha that I used to kind of, you know, you said in high school, what kind of, where did I sway? And I wasn't really a punker either, but I hung out with some punkers and I had a band and I don't know. That was what was going on in Omaha in 1985. It was an underground punk scene. You know, if you got lucky, you could see Black Flag at some, you know, yeah, Union yeah. Hall or, you know, the replacement somewhere or TSOL or all these bands, you know. St. Pants probably made the circuit where you were, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the Magnolias out of Minneapolis and just all these, all these, all these crazy rockers, punkers. Um, Uncle Tupelo was kind of on the scene. Yeah, Husker Du was, was Husker working their way up. And yeah, so, um, you know, and there was a hardcore, big hardcore scene in Omaha, you know, big Mohawkie hardcore scene. Yep. But some of those guys were cool. And I don't know. I, so this song is kind of, you know, and I think I took some of that influence with me. You know, I definitely. Yeah, I can see that. You know, uh, in, in, whether it's in, it, I don't think it translates to my songs, but, you know, maybe in an attitude or in something, you know. It was there and it was a part of stuff. And I definitely have written songs that were more in that, you know, my younger years. Yeah. My, my times. Um, so I think it's kind of about that punk rock scene uh, and not letting that flame die, man. <laughs> that I still look for you. <laughs> Putting that pin back in your leather jacket, man. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, it's kind of. And then, right. and then every town had these kind of legendary kind of guys that were sort of, you know, yeah, man, he died or whatever, you know, that guy that used to play in that band over there, you know, so kind of a tribute to those that faded away early, too. And, yeah. Uh, you know. All right, a tip of the hat to his proto-punk years from high school. Jeff Perlman's my artist this week. So happy to have you, man. And I, I, I'm, I've, I have so much gratitude for all the musicians who come on this show. There's a million podcasts these days. I'd like to raise my flag a little bit and say I've been doing this for like 10 years. So this goes back to like podcasts weren't even called podcasts. Yeah. I was blogging before there was blogging. I don't even don't do that anymore. <laughs> Trying to stay ahead of that curve a little bit. Plogging. Uh, plogging, whatever that is. Clogging, all different, Clogging, different, yeah. different things. Uh, but uh, so it means a lot to me that musicians come in, give their time. Well, it means I, a lot to us, and, and you I, have us. You know, I, I love sharing it with people. One of my, I, I, I talk endlessly, so it's trying to make something out of what I do naturally, anyway. <laughs> so, Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. We have my more pleasure. to talk about. We're not going anywhere yet. Okay. Uh, but this is Jeff Perlman. The song is "I Still Look for You," the new record, "Lost in the Satellites." Let's check this out on Independence Day. Every time I take the underground. Pass your stop on the way in town I think about when we first met You asked me for that cigarette I still laugh at things you used to say I go drinking where your band would play And I go hang out in the square I might see you there I still look for you I think you'd want me to But I saw your face in a crowd I even called your name aloud But I knew you would never hear I knew you were never there But I still look for you 
think you'd like me to I still look for you Even though those days are through I still look for you Jeff Perlman on Independence Day. Good job, man. Thank you. I like what you do. I like what you do. Thank you know, you. I like uh, what you do. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I like mutu- that you give a platform mutual- for artists to do it. That's oh, very- man, it means the world to me. It means the world to me That's- because uh, I wish I'd had the opportunity to do this kind of thing yeah. when I was younger. You know, the as much as I fight with technology, and God knows I do, right. you know, it, recording interfaces and recording software and versions of operating systems and web Never deals. Ends. I just put up an yeah. episode recently fighting with the web to get it to do what I want it to do. And like each computer is at a different operating system and each right. browser's got a thing and then the flash plugin doesn't work. It's like we were talking this when we were setting up about this when we were setting up, which is that the things that I have learned to do as a result of becoming a musician. Mm-hmm. They're great. Knowledge is power. And, and it's, you know, I, I, I'm very curious. So I like being involved in different things. But there are times when I'm screwing around with Dreamweaver or Photoshop or whatever. And I'm like, man, I wish I could just go back and play Van Halen again. Yeah. That's kind of what I really, I know. That's but what you got know, me started down the road. And now I feel like I spend more time as an uh, IT guy. I, I mean, one thing you learn as a musician, especially just the way things have gone, is that nobody else is going to do this for you. So you have yeah. to. And so a lot of times you just have to end up doing things you never thought you'd do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if I can tie it all together, like that's why the call, the show is called Independence Day, T apostrophe mm-hmm. S, yeah. is because even people who are signed to labels, even people who you know, sell millions of copies. You know, we've had some people on the show who tour internationally, you know, and make a pretty good living at it, you know? Uh, And a lot of, most of us are kind of in the middle, you know, where most of us are not Aerosmith. Most of us are not riding the private jet, you know, maybe some of us have to some shows, but most of us are scrapping around. And, but even those people, like even Taylor Swift now is independent in one respect. She reaches her fans directly. Yep. You know? Uh, and that gives you, you know, everyone's, you know, the, the captain of your soul or whatever phrase you want to use to, to elucidate that. But 
we're all you know, most of us are in the middle and we're independent. Yeah, we're independent contractors. We're making stuff. We're making art. You were talking well, and before. That's, and that's what they're going to look for. You know, it's not yeah. even like you know a record company's not going to sign you and make your record anymore. They're yeah. going to sign you and your record. That paradigm is gone. Your record should be already made and, and up to snuff. You know, right. it's kind of a yeah. Well, the, yeah, the whole lot, you know? the way that we've monetized the industry has changed. Yeah, yeah um, it's, and, and it's still changing. It's and it constantly does, and that's yeah. kind of the light motif of the show. That's the whole concept. Yeah, is that we're all independent in some way, and therefore we're all having to figure this out. This almost started in a bar. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my musician friends over and over and over again, like, "How are we going to do this?" When Napster was happening and when YouTube was happening, and you know, yeah. we're. I feel like we're as artists not predisposed to just be what you would call a YouTube star, which is like a star for being a star or famous for being famous. Yeah. You know, we want to make something for yeah. real. We want to earn it. We want to earn it. Yeah. I mean, you have Midwestern roots. I have Midwestern roots. Like there's a, there's a musician being a musician at its heart is a trade. Yeah. You know, it's a skill. You have to learn it. And even though you're, you have uh, natural talent, you still yeah. have to learn how to play the guitar. Eddie Van Halen wasn't born. I hate to break it to everybody. He wasn't born knowing how to do those things. He yeah. learned. Yeah. Anyway, a lecture concluded. <laughs> Let's talk a little about making this new record. Okay. Um, and then, like, from the paradigm of you do your own music, you also do a lot of session work, you've taken a lot of gigs, and you continue to. Like, think about your record and compare and contrast it to those the role you play as a session guy. Because you show up to a session, you've got to wear this hat, that hat, whatever. Yeah, that doesn't come, you know, it's funny, I, I have had that thought sometimes of like doing my own record and working on it and then like, well, you know, thinking as a session musician, but but it doesn't really, when it's my own stuff, it that really doesn't, I never seem to get out of the artist shell, you know, even mm-hmm. if I'm, you know, doing the guitars, and just doing the guitars is what I've been doing, you know, and so to yeah. me, it's like, uh, you know, you get in that mindset and, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're just, you're just doing your thing, Um but with this, you know, mostly with this record, I mean, uh, it was, it, 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 it's just, I, I wanted to get as many other people involved as I could, which, uh, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I got really lucky and I, and I just got a lot of, you know, like I said, my friend John Evans, who had done my previous two records, I recorded a lot or mixed, you know, helped me a lot with those and recorded a lot of that stuff. Um, he's got a fabulous studio in Cape Cod out in Orleans and, uh. It's in his house, and it's 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 just it's a bit out, of a commute out in, out in the woods, and yeah, it's just you know it was it's total immersion. It was great, um, and so I went out there when I had a bag of songs that I thought was was good enough. I just called him up and booked a ticket and went yeah. out, and that was October of 2018. Um, there's a fabulous drummer out there named Matthias Bossy who played the uh, other six tracks on the record that. Um, and his uh, wife is a violinist named Carla Kilstead, who's phenomenal uh, on so many levels. They have a thing called Rabbit Rabbit together. Um, so check out Rabbit Rabbit if you can. Uh, and they were in a band called Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum back when I lived in San Francisco, which was one of my favorite bands of all time. They're very, uh, very artsy and awesome. Just musicians. I just was really lucky that they lived there. And they, you know, so they work with John's studio a lot. So I was able to employ their talents. Um, I brought the stuff back here, and I, over the past year, I've overdubbed. Uh, I said I had Jim Cox from the Deductions doing all the keyboards, and uh, you know, he just brought it to a new level. And then I got Rich Hinman up mm-hmm. at, and I recorded them up at Dave Way's studio, the Way Station. Um, and I had Dave Way mix the recordings, mm-hmm. and 
you know, I just got really lucky and the people that I've gotten to know in the past few years, uh, being able to like, you know, yeah, takes a village, get them all together and make this, you know, yeah, it, 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 it took a small village, but, it, but, but, uh, it all just, everything just went really, I don't know. There, it, it, it was like effortless. This, this record just felt very effortless. Yeah. Um, even the times where I was straining for the last, up to the 11th hour, I was searching for a lyric, you know, for one of the songs. But uh, I just had this, I don't know, I adopted this attitude of like, it'll happen. It's cool, you know, don't worry about it. And everything happened. And I didn't worry about stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it happened within a year, which is amazing to me. And then yeah. the artwork, uh, when it came time for a photograph and then the artwork, I was flipping out. I didn't know what, you know, what am I going to do? Um, and my good friend uh, from the other band I play in is Dead Rock West. Uh, my friend Frank Lee Drennan from Dead Rock West is very uh, artistic, good eye for that kind of stuff, ideas. And I had this idea for something, and he talked me down off the ledge with that. Um, and what we ended up getting was uh, my friend Jim Krantz, who, uh, who is a photographer that you've probably seen his images. He does a lot of commercial photography. Um, he's phenomenal. And he is from Omaha uh, and has known me since I was a kid. He was friends with my sister and brother-in-law, who are a little bit older. But... Um, I contacted Jim to find out about if he, you know, maybe he's got like a disciple that uh, photographer that might uh-huh. do it for cheap, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody good with outdoor photography because I decided maybe Vasquez Rocks or something would be the place. And uh, he said, I'll do it. And I was like, you're kidding, you know? And so he did it, you know, for nothing. And, and uh, there's two, uh, you're looking at the CD right yeah, now, yeah. The, the audience can't tell, but um, those that's front and back. And in the record itself, the, you will see my face on the inside. There's there's two more images um, yeah. that are, that'll be on the inner sleeve. Well, I've seen the promotion on the socials, is what the kids call it these days. Yeah. And I love, the photography's fantastic. It's fantastic. And, and uh, you know, I it was just, I, when that shoot was going on, I was like, I think this is going to be really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and people, you know, they've already, you know, people, when they see it, they're like, that's really great. So that was, I think that was, you know, and that was another thing that just happened that came together. Um, and so I'm really just, I'm excited because I think everything has just worked out really nicely on this. Are you the type of musician who feels self-conscious in a photo shoot? All the time. I feel self-conscious yeah. in, 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 you know, watching <laughs> Standing TV. in line Watching at TV at home alone, <laughs> I feel self-conscious. Oh, man. I'm like, should I get in? Put, I probably should put pants on. I'm kind of embarrassing myself. No. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very self-conscious, but, you know, I mean, I don't consider myself yeah. any <laughs> well, that's the, photogenic the, in any sense. But <laughs> Well, there's, there's interpersonal skills with any job or mm-hmm. any avocation in the world, right? Yeah. And if you're a musician, you're entertaining people, even though you're self-conscious, you still have to impart Feeling, emotion, intelligence, art, what, whatever, you know, lyrics, yeah. uh, guitar playing, guitar tone, performance, nuance. You know, photo shoot is a different thing for a musician because we're sure. not in that little petri dish very it's often, like a little, yeah. little pressure cooker. It's usually my least favorite thing to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's weird because I, I'm very ambivalent about photo shoots because as a musician, you have to do them. You have to have promotional photographs. And you, and like an actor, you have to have new ones every mm-hmm. so often. Yeah. And then you're always trying to beg somebody who knows what they're doing to not work for a million dollars because you still need good artwork, but you want to pay them for their work because you respect their work. Right. I've got a great relationship with a guy named Joshua, a dear friend of mine. He sadly, well, happy for him, but he moved back way east. Uh, East Coast these days, so I don't know what I'm going to do for my new record. Yeah, but he's done all my photography, and he's 100% professional. He's made a living at it his whole life. You know, we met at New York City. He bought some music gear for me when I worked at Manny's Music, mm. and he's ended up shooting everything. But 
but it's hard to capture that image or set of images, and it's going to be a photograph or art or a combination of the two. And when you're independent, like you are, like I am, it's up to us too, just like we had to learn Photoshop and Dreamweaver and mm-hmm. all that other stuff. Like now we have to like figure out how that works or beg someone to do well, it for that's, us. Yeah, I found, you know, I found somebody who, to do the layout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't going to mess with that either. Yeah, and it's funny because it's, it's kind of like if, you have, if you're a plumber and you work as a subcontractor, like you might know the drywall guy and you might know the, sure. um, you got your group of the guys. painting people and you've got your crew of people that you work with and maybe a list of second or third call people. Yeah. And like having those sideways relationships is so critical, I think, for yeah. this industry and for every other one too. Because music, as I said before, is like a trade. Well, I mean, I always my buddy John Evans. That's that's who I go to when I want to record. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe next time I'll try something different. But I, I I sure love working with him, and I I feel a comfort in that. Yeah, you know, and it's a very intimate uh, yeah. thing when you have your your art out. So, what did you what did you learn? Like was there a like a or what was maybe or what was different about this record as opposed to other records? Maybe is another way to phrase that. Well, in my experience of, I mean, I've I've, I've made one my first record I made was back in two thousand two, you know, and I kind of piecemealed that together as much as I could. I just gotten a Pro Tools rig. Uh, my second record, I had access to a studio. I went in and recorded. Of course, I only put out an EP because I just, uh, there was a couple of writing things. I, I meant to put out a 10-song record. I ended up putting out a five-song EP, and, you know, things happen. But, and so that was 2005. So this is my first release uh, since then. It's wow. been a long time since I put anything out. Um, I've made a lot of records with other people as a guitar player and things and produced lots of stuff, but I, I have not made my own. Um, and I think what I, if I learned anything... Uh, it was this whole letting go. I just, I just got really good at letting go. I mean, I had an order in my head of the songs for oh, you know, a year probably almost. You know that I'd yeah. been listening and putting all my rough mixes in that order. Thing that's going to be, it's going to start with this, going to end with this. You know, and it didn't quite go out that way because I, you know, I talked to Dave Way who mixed the record, and you know, I'm like, well, he's got a fresher perspective, and yeah, you know, he's got Grammys and he knows. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. And so I said, you know, what do you think of the order? You know, and and he's like, yeah, I don't know, but this one here, and then I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't know about that. And then I, you know, check it out. But then he told me his reasoning. I was like, yeah, he's right. And uh, you know, switched. You know, just and I just like I'm not gonna care. I just just not caring so much. Just not yeah. being so freaking precious because it really, like I said earlier, so much stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna present itself to the world the way it is. People are probably gonna hear it a song at a time. I'm doing this record thing just because I want to. You know, yeah. I want. I've always wanted to put out vinyl. I'm doing it. I'm 50 years old. I'm like, F it. I'm doing it. <laughs> well, put me down for one of those vinyl copies. You got it. I would yeah. very much like to have one. Because like yeah. I said, I, it's a funny little phrase, like a pat phrase. Man, I like what you do. Yeah. You know? And it's going to look great. The CD was it was an afterthought, just a promo kind of thing. Yeah, you got to have those. You got to have them for promo, but it's not really for sale. So it's the album artwork kind of hastily mm-hmm. sent off for that. But, but the... Uh, the print of the album is going to be beautiful, and I'm very excited yeah. about it. I'm I'm excited for you, man, because I'm hoping I've got this new record in the works right now, and I'm hoping to God that I can do vinyl. Like yeah. to use your phrase, it's kind of a vanity project. I just want to see my name spinning around that disc. I want to hear. For me, yeah, I don't know. This is very very inside, but for me, like there's so many different things about vinyl. I'm not an evangelist in the sense that I think it's the be all end all of everything. There's a point to digital's great. 
digital distribution is extremely convenient. Mm-hmm. It saves a lot of time and money. But there's no romance to it. And having no romance. the romance and plopping that record on the platter, dropping yes. that needle in the groove. That's what you're doing. You're going to put this right. record on. And it's only going to go for about 15 minutes before you have to go back and tend to it and flip it over. And so it's Active like, listening. It's active listening. And that's, you know, I said I got a new turn yeah. yesterday that was pretty nice. And I, I you know, what did I? Put on Los Lobos Kiko. And oh, I love that! I got, a, I got a mobile fidelity pressing of that. And it wow! Just, it, just, it just tore my head off. I'll bring, I'll, I'll bring <laughs> some beer over. I want to hear that record Come on your over new platter. We'll, we'll have a vinyl session. It's, and that's you know that's a fun thing to do. It just it, it yeah. yeah it really is a you know it's an active listening and the vinyl is a performance itself. It's 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 something that's happening there. Yeah. And, and that could change on the humidity and that, you know things could be slightly different on on some strange level that you may not may or may not perceive. So it's, you know, I, I like the experience. I've got, you know, a ton of records. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, this is the last thing I'll say about this, and I want you to play that last song, because okay. i gotta, I got to get you moving on down the road, and I myself have to move on down that road as well. But for me, like, the first thing when I get a record on vinyl, especially a record with which I'm very familiar, a record I've had on CD for forever, might have had on cassette in high school, whatever, might have even had the vinyl once before back right. in the 80s, it's the transience that I notice first. The way a snare drum sounds on a vinyl record mm-hmm. can be wholly, to me, almost wholly different. Like, whoa, right? As that's... opposed to the cassette, would have the compression, right? A different kind of compression, right? And you know, I'm not, I suppose we could go all Neil Young about it. I don't even know if I want to go down the road if it's better or worse, but it's different. And to me, more present and more real. Something sure. about that vinyl groove and the way that that's, that wood stick cracks that head with the metal or wood snare, mm-hmm. like that jumps out to me. Like, wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Last little vinyl story, my neighbor next door, when they moved out a few years ago, gave me a big st- like a stack of vinyl. And it looked like it had been through a hay baler. Looked terrible. You know, I had an old David Gilmore solo record was on there, some other stuff. But in there was a copy of After the Gold Rush, Neil Young My record. Favorite. Fantastic, and I know the record. That's the record I've been chasing. That and Rubber Soul are two records yeah. that I've been chasing. I want to make you know that's you and I, the rest of us, Jeff. Yeah, but I, but I was like, now. you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put the After the Gold Rush on the on the thing. I'm gonna listen to it, see what because it, it maybe it's playable, you know. And I put it on because the jacket, you know, it's a gatefold, but the right, jacket, yeah, yeah, the jacket up. is like double gatefold because the 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 glue's long gone. Right, right, it's right. been in their garage. It's hot out here. It's sure. probably been in their garage for 20 years, maybe more. I put it on, Jeff. I kid you not. This is weird. Fish story, vinyl fish story. It's the best sounding record <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. I don't know if it's the old acetate. Mm. I don't know if just something magical happened on that particular copy. I have no idea what the deal is. Aged in the garage. Aged in the garage. It sounds fantastic. Wow. When the drums come in and when the background vocals come in, it's like, oh my God, that's uh, James Taylor or whatever. That's who, you know, right. you can hear it. Yeah, it's a beautiful record. So I look forward to hearing your vinyl record. I hope I look for, I look forward to hearing my own vinyl record if I can pull it off. What's this last tune you've got for us? Oh, this last tune. Um, this is. Should have put your paper a little closer to you, man. Next oh, time yeah. you're on the podcast, you got to put that okay. closer. This one I'm going to do. Uh, this is called the "Never Say Goodbye Again." This is on my first record, and uh, God, I probably started the music for this. Probably started in 1999. I remember having this piece of music kick around and not finding a lyric for about a year. And I read a story about a guy whose father had died uh, in the hospital and, and, and he wanted to s- just have a last beer and cigar with his father. So he dressed him up in some motorcycle leathers and did this kind of weekend in Bernie's thing, took him to a square. They, they lived in Copenhagen, so they went around squares of Copenhagen and he stopped at a bar and he propped his dad up and put a lit cigar in his mouth and ordered a couple of beers and 
drank his beer and smoked a cigar, and then took his dad back to the hospital. And, wow. Uh, what a great story. It's a crazy story. And you can find that story on the way. All you got to do is search uh, dead father, comma, motorcycle, comma, Copenhagen, and you'll see the story <laughs> that I uh, wrote this song about. But Man. It's, uh, but it's a song. It, 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 I mean, Like I said, I've been doing this song for a long time, but I, I, um, when I used to perform it here... Sometimes people come up and they say, "What about your dad, man? You know, I just lost my dad too." I mean, and I hadn't at the time. I hadn't lost my dad. It was uh, I did about ten years ago, but I mean, it, at that time, you know, yeah, I was like, you know, so they thought it would be about my dad. So, and then after, of course, I lost mine. It's it's always been a little yeah. bit a little bit of a thing to to play it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> a stigma's been attached that wasn't there before. I used to, but but uh, but I always like the songs. Well, so Jeff, man, it's I mean, weird. Seriously, hopefully you'll like it. That's why music's great. Because it's those sh- those emotions that that like sympathetic resonance. Yeah, you ring a bell over there, and the sympathetic resonance through the air rings my bell about that human experience. If you and hit it's somebody, a and 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 every and the songs are just open to so much interpretation, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. All right. So let's hear this. It's a great song. Great artist. Never say goodbye again is the song. Jeff Perlman is the artist. Let's listen to this. Woke up with the sunlight on your face And watched the nurse's shadow as she walked out of the room But all the while she never noticed when you slipped away But dad, I'm gonna get you out of here We're gonna take a ride and catch ourselves a beer And I'll tell you everything I've wanted to for years So come along, let's leave it up For just this last cigar One more ride in the sidecar One last smile for all the girls And we'll never say goodbye again So lonely and out of place Looking at your face I get a comfort all so strange It's like looking at myself From far away Oh, but let me get some drinks And find a light Let me raise our glasses up And toast to you and me I'm not sure exactly what to say We'll just smoke the hour away Just one last cigar One more pint from this here bar One last smile from all the girls And we'll never say goodbye again But I'd have to close my eyes But then I look at you Your lips are cold and blue And it's just you and me And I'm afraid 
I've done something wrong Cause I feel just like a ton of bricks again And I only wanna say goodbye in style Oh, how good it feels Just to be beside you now For just one last cigar one more ride in the sidecar One last smile from all the girls And we'll never say goodbye again No, we'll never say goodbye again Jeff Perlman is the artist, man. What a great song. Man, I, I wish you the best of luck with this new record. I hope everybody picks it up. I hope you sell Thank all 250,000 copies of the Woo-hoo. vinyl that they're delivering to your house. Right. You're doing the C-130 airdrop, right? Where they're going to kick it out the back and the parachute comes down and then you've got to bring them in. I hope not. But, <laughs> yeah, I hope not too. But uh, if that's what they do, that's what they do. But that's yeah. what they do. As long as you get them. As long as they're intact. As long as they sound right. As long as they songs are in the right order. the fence, you know. Uh, and like I said before, put me down for one of those vinyl copies. <laughs> I would it, like man. to have that. Uh, and let's get around to that beer. We'll let's do a vinyl spinning session. I'll bring that Neil Young record we were just talking about. I want to hear your copy of Kiko. Oh, yeah. Love that record, man. Good one. So, again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing thanks your for time. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Best of luck. And get out to see. If you want to find out where Jeff's out among the English, Jeff Perlman Music. And as of one last reminder, G-E-O-F-F Perlman, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N. Perlmanmusic.com is where you find him. So, Jeff, man, it's been a great time. Thanks, Joe. So, thanks to Jeff Perlman, also to the Independence Day staff, Del Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The storied Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. As always, thanks, Loke. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, tomorrow, and every day, please be good to one another.